Amen. All right, check it out. Hey, it started out just like any other routine test in this facility. And I mean, the turbines began to spin and the, the pumps began to circulate. The power supply, it seemed to be just fine. And, but by the time the operator moved to shut down the procedure, the facility was already in an extreme unstable condition. Soon steam rapidly began to be produced. That increased the pressure inside the unit. That detached a cover plate. That ruptured the fuel channels. That jammed the control rods, producing a series of explosions, instantly killing two people, spewing forth nuclear waste high into the atmosphere. But that was just the beginning. Soon the deadly gas uh, killed six firemen, then another 22 people, as it ascended three miles up into the air in a plume of smoke laden with deadly contaminants. It created this cloud that traveled northwest over Poland, then into Scandinavia, south on into Greece, spreading poison throughout Eastern Europe. In fact, it continued to blow eastward over the length of the Soviet Union. Even a small amount of it reached California. And even though some 220,000 people were evacuated, okay, from nearly 2,700 square miles, the damage was done. 800,000 children needed medical treatment. Upwards to 200,000 people died. Land was destroyed for miles around. It caused birth defects in animals still to this day. And still to this day, there are massive spikes in thyroid disease, anemia, and cancer in people as well. It was the largest uncontrolled radioactive release into the environment ever recorded. It produced 358, not million, $358 billion worth of damage. It became the worst nuclear plant accident in all of modern history. The year was 1986. The disaster, of course, was Chernobyl. Chernobyl. Turn to somebody and say, he's being kind to us again. <laughs> I picked one that we all know. Okay, you should know that one. We all know about the disaster of Chernobyl, right? All praise God, three of you. We, we're, it's going to be a long day, folks. But anyway, that's right. Uh, no, 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 we all know about that. And, and we can agree, hello, right? It was one of the worst disasters of all time, right? But folks, once again, you know the theme. What if I were to tell you I know a disaster that makes Chernobyl look like a hangnail? Okay? And, and although those are pretty severe, okay? But this one, I'm telling you, folks, is way worse, okay? And this disaster, what if I were to tell you it didn't occur just one time in one country, one place? But it's going on right now, today, and it's been leaving a trail of death and destruction for centuries, Folks, once again, we are talking about the satanic war on the Christian. Again, these are the facts. We've got to wake up to this, folks. The Bible is replete. Old Testament, New Testament. How do you get around this? We Christians, we don't battle here and there once in a while. We don't ever reach this point in our walk with Jesus Christ where he hit a plateau and it's like, ah, easy sailing from here on out. Never. It will never stop. We are in a war from the day we got saved, whether you like it, lump it, leave it or not, against a real-life demonic force whose sole purpose is to destroy you and to extinguish your effectiveness for Jesus Christ. And it will not stop until we get to heaven, right? So we need to deal with this, okay? And so in order for you and I as Christians to stop getting duped and unnecessarily spiritually beat up all over the place, we're going to continue our study, the satanic war on the Christian. Now, we've already seen if you're going to win this war, right? Because we got victory in Christ, amen? He's won. He's defeated the enemy. He's, he's defeated. He whooped him on the cross, okay? Jesus did uh, to Satan. What do you got to do? The first thing you know, you need to know who your enemy is, okay? The second thing we saw, what your enemy is like. The third thing, the tactic of your enemy. The fourth thing, the destruction of your enemy. The fifth thing, the temptation from your enemy. And the last four times, we saw the fantastic news, hello, the protection from the enemy. And what we've been seeing now in this final section is the good news that God has not left us hanging high and dry when it comes to dealing with the devil and demons, with spiritual warfare. Amen? Isn't that good news? Okay? And what we've been seeing is God has given us not just some protection, not just some weaponry, but his full-blown protection, amazing weaponry, and if we just do what he says to do with the provision he's given us, you cannot lose. 
This is absolutely awesome. He didn't say you put it on. Most of the time you're going to win. Some of the time. Every single time. You cannot lose if you just put on and do what God says to do for protection. Okay. And basically we're in that section dealing with the armor of God. Okay. Now the first thing we saw about the armor of God. It's designed for war. Hello. The second thing it's designed for victory. Hello. And, and then last time we saw it's designed to what? It's designed to wear. God, the armor of God is basically God's supernatural a military, if you will, equipment to put on Christian. Okay, it's designed to wear. It's not something to look at. It's not something to quote and you have no idea what in the world you're talking about because it's Christianese and I got to say it, right? No, it's designed to wear. In fact, the Greek we says, you don't just put it on. You put it on. You put it on now and you keep it on. Don't you dare take it off. In fact, he says, put on all the armor of God, not some of it, not just I'll add this piece. Oh, oh too bad. I forgot this one no you got to put it all on you got to put it all on now why because it's all needed if you're going to experience the victory that we have already been given in Christ okay now we saw last time if you were uh, here the first piece we put on is what did you get the belt on right the belt of truth and what we saw is it's not speaking of a literal belt Okay, common sense tells us it's a, it's a literal belt. Paul's using an analogy of the Roman soldiers that they literally wore, but that literal belt is speaking of a literal spiritual truth that we need to put on. And that, of course, again, was the word of God. We need to put on the word of God every single day. That's the first piece. Why? Because we saw when it comes to God's word, it holds all things together. It keeps you from falling apart. It can only be put on by me. It is, uh, indicates seriousness. It gives you incredible support. Indicates readiness. And it's a place to hang your victories. You have got to basically what Paul is saying. Let's brush away the Christianese. Oh, sure thing, Pastor Billy. I put on the belt of truth. What's that? I don't know, but I put it on in my mind. I quoted the verse. What is he talking about? In essence, break it down. He's saying, Christian, every single day, you have got to be in the Word of God. Every single day. Why? Because without it, all those things are going to go in the reverse. You're going to start falling apart. You're going to lose the battle. You ain't going to have no victories to hang on your belt. Right? But the sad thing is, it doesn't have to be that way. Just get the belt on. Get into the Word of God, Christian, every single day. I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. Get the belt on. Okay, now we're going to take a look at the second piece, and that is what he calls the breastplate of righteousness. And again, it's not just pick one and then put it on whenever you're convenient. I'll try this one today, maybe that one later. No, every single piece is needed. This is the second one there, the breastplate of righteousness, right? And so let's again turn to the Word of God and see what is he talking about, this breastplate of of righteousness because there's got to be something spiritual going on here obviously because how many guys got up today and uh, you put on a literal breastplate I mean wouldn't that be cool that's a guy thing that's for sure John John hey John have you picked a name yet bro is it is it grandpa John grandpa Jay Meemaw Peepaw Weewaw you know they always make up names for you have you picked one yet El Blanco El Wado White grandpa. Okay, we'll just leave that alone. We'll just go over on this side of the congregation. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read verses 10 through 14. Let's go ahead and stand as we read God's holy word. What is this second piece he's telling us practically we got to get on? Right? Every single day if you're going to enjoy that victory. Well, here's what he says. Here's the good news. Finally, be strong in who? 
the Lord and his mighty power. Remember we saw that's just simply be that glow in the dark saint man. Stay close to the light. Right? Get charged up in Jesus every day. Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can not maybe not might take your stand against the devil's schemes. Why? Because here's the thing that's going on every day. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when, not if, the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to what stand <gasps> if only I knew how to do that well he starts to break it down for you right now what's he say stand firm then with what was it last week the belt of truth buckled around your waist again he's meaning get into the word of God number two what do you do you put on what with the breastplate of righteousness in its place. You may be seated, okay? But again, here we see God's second piece of supernatural equipment that we need to put on if we're going to effectively struggle against the spiritual warfare that we're dealing with every single day, whether you like it, lump it, believe it or not, it's going on. This is that second piece, okay? This is what we need to have on the, all the equipment. It's the second of the full array that we got to have on if we're going to experience that victory that Christ has already given to us. And it was simply called the breastplate of righteousness, right? And so again, that's the big question. What is the breastplate of righteousness? Anybody besides me and Mark wondering that question? Please, everybody raise your hand so I can at least feel somewhat encouraged as a... And you still resist, some of you. But anyway, that's right. Anyway, no, that's the question, right? Okay, breastplate of righteousness. What is the breastplate of righteousness? Because how many guys went to Walmart this week and said, excuse me, clerk, I've been looking all over this place, man. I've been left side, right side of Walmart. I even went down that crazy 13 aisle, right? And I almost got lost just in that aisle. I can, can you show me where the breastplate of righteousness is? How many guys did that? Are you serious? We'll talk later, right? <laughs> No, we didn't do that. Why? Because there, so obviously you're dealing with something here. It's, it's spiritual. So let's see if we can discover that out. Now, how do you do that? You do with biblical hermeneutics. You, you go to the scripture. The scripture defines scripture. So let's go back to the Roman soldier's uniform and weaponry, right? And see what he's referring to so that we can pull out the correct understanding of what is this breastplate of righteousness. What is this second piece, right? So let's take a look at what it is. And the first we're going to see about it is the breastplate protected from all different kind of angles not just the front that's where some people get it wrong but let's take a look at that a Roman soldier's breastplate as you can see here was also known as the lorica segmentata which comes from the Latin phrase armor in pieces hence segment right it referred to the Roman equipment that acted as a body armor it's kind of like today you'd, you'd wear the Body armor, the police that put on, right? Bulletproof vest, this is basically their version of that, okay? It was put together in segments or plates, again, hence segmentata. It covered the chest, soldiers. It was made up of four sections, two for the shoulders, right? And two for the torso. Notice it's not just the front, it's what? It's a wraparound. It's front and back, as well as the shoulders. Now, it was attached by means of these brass hooks. They were joined together, cinched up by leather laces. And uh, the broad iron and steel uh, strips were fastened internally together by leather straps or metal straps. And then they were arranged horizontally on the body, and they overlapped downwards, okay, in that downward fashion, as you can see there. It was also designed to be stored compactly, since it was in different sections, as you can see there. Uh, and, and it was uh, designed in layers, it could kind of whoop, kind of fold up. So it kind of could be uh, compact uh, as well. Also, since the Lorica Sigmata, it, it covered the shoulders and the chest in the front and the back, right? Again, all over, not just the front. 
It offered great protection from spears, missiles, swords, and knife piercings. In fact, modern replicas of this type of body armor, because it's really what it was, body armor was uh, demonstrated. It was impenetrable to most direct hits and missile strikes. Just bounced right off. Very effective piece of early, basically, body armor is what's going on. And this is why when you're a Roman soldier, you need to make sure this is what you had on. Need to get your belt on, right? You better get your belt on because that held the rest of the equipment in place. But then you put this baby on because this thing protected basically your vital organs. This was the central piece to the Roman uh, soldier's armor. It protected this whole midsection. Okay, the whole midsection, and uh, without this in place, man, you were toast in battle. It was just a matter of time, right? Because this is what protected this torso. This is where your vital organs are, right? This is where your heart is. This is where your lungs are. How many guys can verify that with your heart and lungs hopefully working right now? Showing that you're not really mannequins, and I'm starting to wonder with the lack of participation, but we'll just move on okay no it protected the vital organs here okay it's what it is and now why why was this so important because listen it's common sense right you could take a hit in the arm right you could take a hit in the leg but you get hit right here in your heart your lungs your toast this thing was the central piece of their armor you better get this baby on all right the breastplate is what provided this internal care to the vital organs this is what provided for that okay now again notice it wasn't just in the front this is what I, I personally found cool as I was uh, going through this, okay? Uh, I think this is where a lot of people miss the point, right? And notice I say it didn't just protect you. It protects you from what? All different kind of angles, okay? It has sh shoulder protection from the top, right? And it wasn't just on the front side of the torso. It was also on the back. Why? Because think about it. In warfare, listen, is that how it works in warfare? You, you're in there, especially when you picture yourself uh, uh, in, well, even modern day warfare, right? If you're a soldier and you're going into battle and here comes these guys and, the, and what you do is right before you get there and they're trying to stab you or something, whatever, or maybe even shoot you in modern warfare, all you got to do is go like this. You turn your back to them. And they stand there in front of you with their back and you go, oh man, come on, this ain't fair. I can't stab you. I can't shoot you. Because I can only hit you from the front. It's not right. Would you turn around so I can kill you? Right? No, it doesn't work, right? No, that's what people, the breastplate covered the whole area. Why? Because listen, the enemy isn't just going to do that. They, yeah, okay, so maybe there's not an opening in the front. They're going to what? They're going to come around. They're going to get you in the back. They can't get you there in the front and the back. They're going to try to get you from the top in the shoulder area. This is what this breastplate did. And that makes total common sense, right? When we understand spiritually what we're dealing with here. Does the enemy always come at you, obviously, head on? How many times have you heard me say this before? When spiritual warfare happens, it's not always obvious. He's not going to come flying through those stained glass windows and it's actual demons. Ah, ah, I'm here to get you. We'd freak out and run. Right? That's a front assault. No. What's the enemy do? The Bible says he's cunning. He's wicked. He's evil. What? He's going to come around your back and get you. He's going to come from the top. He's going to look anywhere for a crack in this vital area. Your heart. Right? And I don't have time to get into this, but the heart back in the day also meant the mind. Okay, so he's going to come at you in the mind, the heart. He's out anywhere you can find a crack. And that's what Paul is saying. We better get this baby on. This thing provided protection, not just from a frontal assault, backwards, top, you name it. This thing kept you covered your vital areas, okay? This is what we says. The enemy will sneak around. He'll look for any crack he can get into just so he can stab us with his unrighteousness. Now, see, that's the key phrase there. Now, it's not just a breastplate. It's not just for protection. It's the breastplate of what? 
righteousness. Now let's begin to decipher what practically is he telling us to put around ourselves top and bottom, protecting us front and back. The word the righteousness, of course, is the Greek word dikaiosune, and it simply means, listen, right living. Okay, right living. And, oh, here's the key phrase, as defined by God. Right? Not as defined by society. They got their own version. Not as defined by your friends or the peer pressure or social media. What is defined by God? That's the key phrase there. Righteousness. It meant integrity. It meant virtue. It meant, listen, purity of life. I.e. a holy character. Right? So essence, what Paul is saying every single day, Christian. Listen, what was the belt? Let's break it down. The belt was put on the word of God. Get into the Bible every single day. That's the first practical step. The second one, Christian, you need to get up every day and be committed. I, by the spirit of God, my focus today is I'm going to be totally covered with holy living. Do you get it? Holy living. Why? Because what does the enemy do? It's no wonder it's called righteousness because what does the enemy do when he comes at you? He comes and he encourages us to be faithful to Jesus. No, that's right. He doesn't. What's he do? He encourages us in unrighteousness. Anything and everything that's the polar opposite of righteousness, right? In fact, if you look at the scripture, you're going to see he's the one where it all began. And this is what's interesting in the Hebrew here, Ezekiel 28, 15. He's speaking of Satan and his fall. He says, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till what? wickedness was found in you. Now what's interesting is the Hebrew word there of all for wickedness is actually the word for unrighteousness. Isn't that interesting? So in essence, that is where all unrighteousness started. It started from Satan. He's the unrighteous one. And so do you think it's by any chance that God says you put on the breastplate of shininess and look cool? No, he says put on the breastplate of righteousness to counter the spiritual war we're in when the enemy will try to seduce you with what? With that which who he is, unrighteous living. All about unrighteousness. Do you see the obvious parallel? God says if you're going to counter the evil one's unrighteous solicitations to do evil and to live an unholy life, you better put this one on. The breastplate of righteousness. Now, what's interesting, again, this covered all angles. And God is trying to draw a picture with this. You, you, it's, it, you're completely covered in this stuff. Right? The vital areas, the top, the front, the back. There's no crack in your armor that the enemy can get into. In fact, he emphasizes it in another way. Right? Not just with the way that the armor was set up to protect. No cracks. It's got this whole area here, here. It's all covered. Right? No, no, no place for the enemy to jam his unrighteousness in. He also says it there with the phrase there, to put on. The translation we read says, to have in place. Now, what the, the Greek says, you don't just put this on. Listen, this is cool. He says you are to immerse yourself into it. That's literally what it was saying. You literally immerse yourself into it. It's the Greek word in duo, and it literally means to sink into this breastplate of righteousness. As into an outfit, right? How many of you guys always get those interesting outfits at Christmas? Right? And they still, maybe I shouldn't go there. But maybe... <laughs> No, but the point is, it's usually sometimes it's like, remember those one-piece jammies, right? When you get into it, you better be committed. <laughs> it's going to be a while, right? And hopefully it's not with the flap, the, the flap thing. Right? But you get in that thing, man, that, what's that thing? It covers everything, man. 
right? It's like those old pajamas they wore back in the, the, the Old West, right? When they took their Saturday night shower, right? But that, that's the point. That's what he's saying here. You, you, when you get into this thing, you are totally immersed with the self. You don't just put it on. It's not just haphazardly. It's not just, well, it's kind of cinched up here and there. You are completely immersed with it. With what? Righteousness. According to God. Holy living. Okay, you, there, the point is Paul saying is don't just put this on and it's not just to counteract the enemy's unrighteousness. He's literally saying make sure that there's not one area exposed. Why? Because you know that's exactly where the enemy's looking for. He's always looking for a crack in our living <clears throat> to jam the knife into <clears throat> and make it even bigger. Right? This is what this guy says. He says, listen, no Roman soldier would have thought going into battle without his vital organs protecting. You could take a shot in the thigh, you could take a shot in the arm, but you get one here in the midsection, you're done. Right? He says the same thing in our spiritual battle with Satan. If there's a weakness in your armor, listen, meaning sins, acts of disobedience, because that's where it is, that's what he's talking about, that's your crack. Okay? Wrong attitudes, unconfessed sins, unrepented sins, you're vulnerable. And if you're courting sins in your life, he says, you're going to fail. And the whole time, you didn't have to, right? He said, that's what's happened to one of my Christian friends. I had this friend in high school, he says, he was the leader of the youth in his church. And, and his first year of college, he collapsed morally because there were issues that I could see in his life as a high school student, but, but he wasn't dealing with them. You see, when Satan sees a crack, he moves right into that crack. And you become vulnerable as the world system appeals to that crack in your armor and tries to make it even wider. And even the smallest of crack can be exploited in a fatal way. And that's why the Bible says make no provision for the flesh in regards to lust. Don't even go there. Oh, you might have a, a commitment. You, you, you may be a Christian and you're eager to serve the Lord. You might say, yeah, man, I want to I serve God. I want to go into seminary. I want to train. I want to serve the Lord. But you better have the breastplate of righteousness on. Why? Because without righteousness, we leave ourselves open to almost certain death. But with it, the enemy's attacks bounce right off. You get it? Paul is saying if you're sick and tired of getting smacked on, with unrighteousness, unrighteous living, and the penalty for that, and the temptations that come from that, and that whole, I'm just so sick and tired. It's just, I get it one, and I get it. Remember we talked about that? That's leftover Christianity. So it's, it's always just down here. Paul says, if you're sick of living like that, make sure there's no crack. Don't give the enemy anything to work with. How? Make that commitment. What do I do? Let's break it down. What's he saying? You get the armor on. Stay close to Jesus and his mighty power. Every day, spend time with him. Get charged up. Number two, get into the word of God. Right? And the second piece of armor is what? Before you leave the house, Christian, we'll get to that in a second. You're living for Jesus now. Holy living. Your focus is on pleasing him. Not yourself, not this world. And I'm making sure that my mind, there's not a crack in my mind. There's not a crack in my armor. There's nothing in my walk with Christ that the enemy could jab me with and bring me down. That's what Paul is saying here. Now, that's why it protects us from all angles. That's why he's saying you gotta be totally immersed in this because you don't wanna give the enemy an easy road in. Make sense? Right? Let's take a look at the second thing. The second thing about the breastplate of righteousness, again, like all the other pieces, is it has to be put on by me. And that's common sense. 
But sometimes I think we get lazy, right, in our walk with Jesus Christ. Just as we saw with the belt of truth, can I make you get into the word of God? No. It's the same thing when it comes to righteousness. Can I make you live a holy life even as a Christian? No, I, I can't do it, right? The Greek actually says, having clothed yourself with the, uh, the breastplate of righteousness, okay? Having clothed yourself, right? I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. You can't go hire somebody, right? You can't have Siri remind you and say, hey, don't forget today, you need to live a, I guess that beats a sharp stick in the eye, but listen, it's a heart response. And I, I can't govern your heart. I wish I could. I wish I could govern my own heart. But listen, it's a choice you have to make. You have to make a choice. Every day, he's saying, you alone, Christian, clothe yourself. You alone have to make this personal commitment before you ever even leave the house. I'm in the Word of God. I just got done reading the Word of God. I had a great time. I'm sticking close to Jesus. I'm standing in his mighty strength. And now, before I do anything else, I'm making a commitment to you, Jesus, holy living today. That's what he's saying here. Okay? Now, some people disagree on what this righteousness represents that we are to put on, right? I'm going to give you the two basic options, okay? There's another third if you wanted to call it self-righteousness, but obviously that's a sin, so obviously that's not something that uh, uh, I, obviously Paul would be recommending. But let me give you what a lot of people think it is, and then I'm going to give you what I think it is, okay? The first option is what's called positional or imputed righteousness, right? Now, this is referring to the righteousness that's given to us in Christ, Okay, when we get saved, okay, uh, and, uh, and, and is uh, attributed to our account, it's an accounting term, uh, with Jesus' death on the cross. The imputed righteousness of Christ. Let's take a look at this verse. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to what? To be sin for us. So that in him, Jesus, we might become the what? The righteousness of of God. This is basically what's called the imputed righteousness of Christ. We are made righteous. We don't earn our way to God, right? Because we can't, right? Because what's the Bible say? All of our righteousness is as what? Filthy rags. We saw in the Hebrew, what's that mean? It's a minstrel rag. You're basically saying, I'm going to produce my own blood and throw it at the throne of God. That's my ticket to heaven. <laughs> don't do that. Right? But this is the imputed righteousness. We can't earn our way to heaven. It's a gift from God. Right? He gives it to us. It's the righteousness of Christ. Now basically, again, it's an accounting. We've talked about this before, mainly on Wednesday nights. It's an accounting term. It's basically God's divine ledger. Now, if you're not paying attention to anything, and if you're feeling down the dumps, pay attention to this. This should make your day, and if it doesn't, something's wrong with you. Right? Basically, if you could look at this as a, a, an accounting ledger. How many guys love accounting? How many guys woke up today and said, yeah! I hope he talks about accounting. Well, guess what? Today's your day, Brian. That's right. <laughs> so basically what's going on here is basically God, and this is a positional truth, the imputed righteousness of Christ, that God takes all of our unrighteousness, our rottenness, our sins, and at the moment of salvation, and places them on the cross with Christ. Then he takes all the righteousness he who was without sin, Jesus, his righteousness, and places that on our side of the ledger. Cool deal. <laughs> you better be cool. And that's why our salvation is eternally secure because it's not based on my righteousness. Oh, no, contraire. For those of you hooked on bad French, right? Uh, <laughs> it's based on the righteousness of Christ, right? That's why I'm eternally secure. And so some people say, well, maybe that's what God's talking about here. Maybe that's what Paul is saying. You need to put on and understand uh, the imputed righteousness of Christ that keeps us eternally secure. Well, that's good. But I don't think that's what he's talking about. 
Okay, and I'll, and I'll get to that uh, in, in just a second, okay? Uh, uh, but, but I do think, and I will say this, I do think understanding the imputed righteousness of Christ, okay, is something that does come in handy when you fail to put on the breastplate of righteousness. In other words, when you fail in, in your own desire to get up and you're supposed to live a holy life. Let, let me share it with you like this. One guy, he puts it this way. He says, the only reason why I, listen Christian, the only reason why I stand righteous before God is because of Christ's righteousness imputed on my account. Amen? His righteousness will never fail. Regardless of the duration or the intensity of the battle, the righteousness of Christ will always prevail. So, unfortunately, if you don't put on the breastplate of righteousness, practical holy living, here's what you do. Satan, he comes at you and he says, look at you, Christian. Look at you. How you exploded in anger. Look at how you lied to cover your tracks. Look at how you lusted after that person. Some Christian you are. So how do you answer those charges? Simple, he says. You answer by implying and implying the imputed righteousness of Christ. And you simply say something like this. You're right, Satan. I did just sin. But my eternal life does not depend on my sinless behavior, my righteousness, my perfect track record. I am trusting in the blood of Jesus Christ and it's his righteousness that's accredited to my account. Take it up with him. Amen. That's the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not condoning sin, but we're going to blow it. We're not always going to put on that breastplate like we should. But the imputed righteousness, boy, does that come in handy, Amen. Right? Okay, so, so I, I think that comes in handy, but I don't think that's what Paul's talking about. That was your option number one, okay? The second option that he talks about uh, is practical righteousness, and that's what I've been alluding to. And the reason why I say that is because righteousness, the imputed righteousness of Christ, is something that's given to me, right? That's given to me when I get saved. That's a gift. I can't earn it, right? But what we see here is the breastplate of righteousness is something we put on. You see the difference there? And so that's why I lend more to those who believe that he's talking about putting on a, a practical righteousness. Okay, basically daily holy living. And you're thinking, well, why? Well, because it's simply called the process of Christian maturity, right? The Bible says that when we start out, when we first get saved, we're what? Babes. And as babes, you crave the newborn milk and you grow up. How many guys are glad that, uh, speaking of babies, I would you know, verify that John's daughter could really agree with this statement too. Uh, but uh, recently, circumstances, uh, that when children are born, they're not born adult-sized. <laughs> Folk, think she would agree? Yes, she would. That's common sense, right? right? So they come out with babies. But the neat thing about babies is it's like a plant, right? You feed it and you water it and miracle grow or something. It just grows, right? right? So the Bible says as Christians when we start out, we don't start as adults da, 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 because we all know the moment we got saved, we lived perfectly from then on. If you believe that, we'll be talking later. Okay, no, right? No, so we start out as babies. Right? But guess what? Babies don't stay babies forever. Right? You feed them, you grow, they get nourished, they make some stinkies, you change the diaper, right? You teach them how to walk, they get there, but eventually they start moving and getting there and they grow and, and they become adults. That's what he's talking about. The process of maturity as a Christian is the natural process of going from a baby, immature Christian to an adult, mature Christian. Now, does that affect our salvation? No, because that's based on the imputed righteousness of Christ. So what's he talking about? He's talking about that process of maturity where we start out like this, and as we grow like son, like father, you begin to hopefully emulate 
Jesus. As you grow, how do you know that a person's getting mature? I don't care how many years you've been saved. The end result is, how much do you look like, act like, speak like, behave like Jesus? That's the acid test, right? And so that's what he's talking about. He's talking about this process of maturity as we grow as Christians. And so guess what? Jesus lived a holy life, so guess what we're supposed to do? You go from a baby and you grow up into a holy life, right? And that over time, not that we become sinless because we won't, but hopefully over time as you grow up, you sin less, right? That there, in the beginning, you didn't know any better because you were a baby, but as you got into the Word of God and God began to convict you, and as he said, be ye holy as I am holy, then he says you need to do that same thing too at that process of maturity. Now, basically, I see a parallel passage to Ephesians 6 here with the breastplate of righteousness. And basically, Paul is saying you need to decide, make up Christian, put on this practical, holy living, grow up basically. Right? But you are the only one who can make that commitment. I can't do it for you. Now, he mentions this procedure, I believe, in this passage here, Romans chapter 6. I think it's basically Paul saying the same thing in a different way. Right? Romans 6, 12 through 13. Therefore, he says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey what? It's evil desires. Right? He says, don't offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. He said, rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of what? Righteousness, right? And so this is what Paul is saying here, okay? Uh, It's really kind of cool in the Greek. The word there, instruments, it says don't uh, offer the members of your body as instruments of wickedness, but offered as an instrument of righteousness. The word there for instruments in the Greek is hoplon, and that was that Old West show, Hopalong Cassidy? No, that's not what it was. I had nothing to do with that. So I just really made you think of something. Whatever. Forget that. <laughs> Hoplon was an instrument of war. It was a weapon. Is what he's talking about here. Now that adds an interesting thing. Because what, what's he say in Ephesians 6? It's a spiritual battle. We're putting on armor. And Paul says, listen, we, our, our bodies in essence are Hoplons. Our bodies, listen Christian, are instruments of warfare. Did you know that? That's really what he's saying here. Okay, it's a picture of the spiritual war going on every single day and what Paul is saying here in Romans 6 and I believe in Ephesians 6, he's basically saying, Christian, when you get out of bed before you ever leave the house, you need to, yes, get into the word of God. Yes, charge yourself up in Jesus Christ, but you need to realize that, listen, you're about to enter into a spiritual war. You are thrust in the um, battle between two opposing forces. There's God's armies, there's Satan's armies and you need to make a decision right now. Nobody can do it for you. I'm going to be an instrument of warfare for God. How? By being committed to a holy life. That's what he's saying. Offer your body, Christian, I can't do it for you. Offer your body as a weapon of warfare for God. He says because if you don't make that commitment every day, Romans 6, Ephesians 6, I believe it's parallel. What's he saying? Flip it around. Whose weapon are you that day? Your body's walking around, Christian, when you're not focused on a holy life in Jesus Christ, when you could give a rip, when you look like, act like, sound like, behave like the wickedness of this world, you're walking around on the one breath saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but you're fighting against Jesus. You're fighting against the captain of your souls. You've surrendered your body, you've offered your body as an instrument of wickedness. You're a hoplon for Satan. Paul is saying don't do that in Romans 6. Don't do that. 
And he encourages us. Paul tells us the option every day. Instrument of righteousness, instrument of wickedness. And Paul just says, here's the positive thing. Put on that breastplate of righteousness. It's the same thing. In, in Ephesians, he just says, do the right thing, okay? Don't offer your body as an instrument of uh, unrighteousness, right? He says, basically, don't commit high treason with Jesus against Jesus Christ. Every single day, right? Now, and the reason why is because when you choose to live this holy life, Paul says, again, it's body armor. It's spiritual body armor. Again, the enemy can't penetrate. He, he'll try to attack you. He'll attempt you every single day. Every bit that you're awake, uh, alive, he's always going to come at you with instruments of unrighteousness. He's always going to try to get you to crack open the armor, take off the armor, whatever. He's, Paul says, listen, get the body armor on. Make that commitment every day. No, I refuse to do that. I put the breastplate on I offer this body as an instrument of righteousness Satan you cannot have this body today because I belong to Jesus and I refuse to commit high treason to my Lord do you get it I'm being repetitive and redundant for a purpose he's saying I break it down get next to Jesus Christ get charged up in his mighty power get into the word of God every single day Christian before you leave the house I hope you did it today I am committed to offer this body up as a weapon of warfare for Jesus through holy living. And I refuse to give in to the enemy's solicitation to unrighteousness because I will never offer this body as a weapon for Satan. Wow, that's intense. Now do you see why you're the only one who can make that decision? Right? Now, when it comes to a holy life, what's he basically saying? Pure living, right living, remember? Right living according to God. When it comes to that purity, Basically, this, we, we, we hear that term all a lot. Live a pure life in Christian. The pure word of God. The pure, we need to be pure as Christians. Pure in our mind. Pure in our body. Pure in our behavior. Right? We, we we're familiar with that. But it's like, we get purity when it comes to other arenas. And we chase after it. We go crazy. We've got to have it. But for some reason, when it comes to purity and spiritual things, woo, we're off in la-la land. Now, let me give you some analogies to hopefully bring that uh, unfortunate dichotomy home. We all know when it comes to purity, let me give you the first example. Purity with water. That matters, doesn't it? Right? Because we all know that every Saturday, we go find the nearest, speaking of Chernobyl, we find the nearest nuclear waste dump, and that's where we fill up our big gallons, and we take it home, and that's what we drink all week long. Mm. No, nobody would do that, right? Because you've got to have pure water. Purity matters. And not just if it's got contaminants in it. If you drink after other people. <laughs> Why? Because it's common sense. Everybody knows that purity matters. Right? Like these people. Let's take a look. Excuse me. Excuse me. Do you mind taking part in the experiment? We're actually testing people's preference for water. Would you rather drink from this bottle of water or from this bottle? Everybody seemed to like it. I'm sure they did, man, but I'll go with that You know instead. what? I, I think I have good authority. Only one of those people is really sick. What about if I give you five bucks to drink from this one? Five bucks? Five bucks. 
No. How about if I give you $5 to drink from this one? No. No? This one? No, thank you. I, I think I still want that one. How about $10? $10 to no. drink out of this no. one. No. $10? Yeah. You sure? Yeah. No. $10? No. $10 wouldn't do it. No. <laughs> Five bucks. <laughs> Ten bucks? Uh, no thanks. Dude. You want the pure one? Oh yeah. yeah. All right, here you go. Yeah, oh, thank you. All right. <laughs> How many guys can agree purity matters? Common sense, right? Anybody want to drink after 10 different mouths have been on the thing? Right? That's common sense, right? You don't know where they've been from. You know, my disease or who knows what they, they could have had chicken that morning. <laughs> could have a scab on their lip. <laughs> hey, speaking of which, I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. Hopefully this works with the sermon, John. I was speaking in Colorado Springs a couple years ago and we took one of the interns with it. Robert and Carly. Robert and Carly. And they went with it on that trip. And uh, after I got done speaking, we were at this restaurant and uh, eating. And of course, afterwards, got dessert and what have you. And uh, Jess's mom, Katie, was with us. And so it was Carly, right? And, uh, you know, two ladies are, you know, trying to be modest. Oh, I don't want to have a full dessert. Oh, I don't want to have a full Let's share a dessert. You know, you, you know, you're familiar with that scenario, right? So they decided to share this dessert. And man, it's like turbo chocolate. Like chocolate turbo with turbo chocolate chocolate sauce with chocolate chocolate exploding chocolate chip cookies. Chocolate, chocolate. Right, it's one of those things, right? And it was all in this, this big bowl thing. It looked like a skillet thing. And it was this big old cookie, remember? And it was just big old cookie, and it was dripped with chocolate and chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. And so they're going at it, man. They each got their own spoon. They're eating all the same thing, right? And John, I could not resist. I'm a guy. I was sitting right next to both of them. I waited until they got about three-fourths of the way through with that exciting chocolate dessert. And then I said loud enough, I was sitting next to Katie, and Carly was right there. They're both going at it. I said loud enough to Katie just so Carly could hear. I says, hey, uh, Katie, hey, did that scab ever go away off your lip? <laughs> You should have seen Carly, man. I thought she was going to puke. <laughs> Why? Because the thought of eating after somebody, drinking after somebody, like the video with the scab, their mouth. Why? Because purity matters. It's common sense. Purity matters. We get that. Who do that? I don't know if you've reached that stage in your parenting yet, folks. But uh, remember when the kids were younger, Right? And you'd have a drink, right? And what do they do? They'd all, hey, can I have a drink? Oh, can I have a drink? Can I have a drink? And you got one, one straw, right? Right, or whatever. And you're looking at them, and they're looking up at you, and they've got like mucus coming out of their nose. They've got saliva's dripping off, right? They've got goobers all over their face. Right? And what do you do as a parent? Because you love them. Right, you let them drink out of the same straw and whatever, right? And then sure enough, you get pneumonia the next day or whatever. But, but the point is, have you reached that stage when your kids get older, right? They get older and this whole time, man, you're getting diseases, right? And whatever from them and scab and mucus, whatever. And then they look at you and you get a drink and you say, and you ask them, hey, can I have a drink? No. <laughs> it's either one of two things, get your own drink or get your own straw. My heart broke that day. <laughs> the double straw request killed my soul. I'm sitting there going like, you have got to be kidding me, right? I let you with your scabby little mucus face drink. I went to the hospital 900 times and you, hello, we share the same DNA sample. We're compatible. I'm not going to kill you. But anyway, remember that? But, but why, why do kids even go through that stage? Because the older you get it, Purity matters. We all know that. Can't say, oh no, I've got to have my own drink. Right? Okay. Now, it's one thing to do that, right? And, and you say, oh, I don't want to accidentally, accidentally 
eat chocolate dessert after a scabby face. I don't want to accidentally, you know, drink out of somebody's straw that had a mucus or something, whatever. But can you imagine if somebody deliberately drank rotten, icky water? Not accidentally. I mean, they did it. and didn't think nothing about it. But that's right. To help bring home this incredible analogy, it's time for the volunteer. Give it up for Scott Bulane. Scott, come on down, buddy. And uh, we got several visitors here today. If I miss you, I'm sorry. I just ran into a few of you. We've got some folks from Michigan today. Hey, great to have you here. Uh, folks here in Las Vegas. Scott and his uh, family, uh, uh, Deb and Aiden, they're all from Florida. Now, his last name is Buling, which I think is like Hebrew for, uh, that's what you get for showing up on analogy day. So, I th is, that, is that correct or something, Scott? Hey, but just a good guy, he runs our social media accounts, doing a lot of transcribing for the books on Wednesday night studies and stuff. So, part of the ministry. So, I'm glad that he's finally get to meet us. So, thank you for your help. But uh, Scott's going to help us out, right? Can you imagine if somebody purposely uh, put stuff in the world? Not accidentally, right, with the straw thing. But I'm going to start off with what? Purified water, right? Because if you drink tap water, ugh. oh, by the way, did you know we spend $16 billion a year on purified water? 2,000 times more than tap water. Because why? I can't have tap water. I'll die. I'll grow a third eye. Ugh. So again, purity matters. So I'm using it, right? Now, we got two vessels here, as you can see. And uh, you can see nice and pure there. In, in fact, how many guys would... would would say, hey, I, I, would, I would drink out of either one of those glasses. Anybody? Anybody? You, you feel that way? Okay. In fact, our, our exciting volunteer, Scott, why don't you go ahead and drink out of, drink out of that one. Just show it's, it's really good. It's pure. It's healthy for you. Give it up for Scott. He's doing extremely well, right, with the analogy there. And, uh, but you can see there, the two glasses there. It's got a clear, pristine, non-scabby, no mucus uh, water there. It's healthy, right? Because purity matters and stuff. And, and it'd be great. Okay, but what, what, what if all of a sudden, Scott decides to put in that other one that he didn't drink. He decides to put in relish of rotten actions. So go ahead, Scott, there. And, and he, yeah, just could, I don't know. We won't talk about that yet. Oh, oh, ooh, that's that's pretty gross. Okay, yeah, a little bit more. You've been really rotten lately. Oh, oh, woo, wow. All right, and, and that that wasn't it, Scott. On top of that, he spent a whole afternoon putting in TV Tabasco sauce. Go ahead, yeah. I look at guaranteed to set your lusts on fire, man. Just ingesting that TV set. Look at that. Oh, there you go. Yeah, you've been watching a lot lately. Go ahead. There you go. Wow, look at that. I tell you what. And then, then, not only that, Scott, woo, he put in, I'm telling you what, mustard of dirty mouth. I mean, can you believe that? Like, you're supposed to be a Christian. What's going on, dude? He's got there and, and, oh, dude, that looks like a tapeworm. Oh, yuck. Oh, and that's right. Last but not least, you can see there's one more container there. Scott, on top of all that, on purpose, not by accident, he f just went to town with mayonnaise of mean behavior. Can you believe that? Mayonnaise of mean behavior. Yeah, and he, oh, wow. That is, that's bad. Now, 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 now folks, you guys can see that. We got it backed up. But uh, how many guys would like to drink out of that? Right? No, why? Because what? Purity matters, that's right. In fact, Scott's going to take a drink right now. He's going to demonstrate. <laughs> I'm just kidding, dude. I did the same thing to Carly. Don't worry about it. Go ahead. Go for Scott. Hey. <laughs> right? 
Now that's common sense, right? But this is in essence what Paul is saying every single day. This is the choice. He said, listen, there is a choice because he's saying in essence, everyday Christian, you need to do the right thing. You need to put on and make sure your life is filled with Christ. Purity, holy living. That's what he's saying. And it's great. It's great to drink. No problem. He says, but listen, when every day you commit, your life is going to become something, something putrid, something gross. And you need to say, no, I will not offer this body as an instrument of wickedness. I will offer it as an instrument of righteousness. Do you understand what he's saying? And he said, listen, we know this. Purity matters. But why would you purposely do this? And then you wonder and expect things to go great in your walk with Jesus? You wonder why sometimes, you wonder if the way you're living, Christian, your walk with Christ makes him want to vomit? You wonder why spiritually, it's just, I just feel sick all the time. Spiritually, I just don't have the strength. I don't have the stamina. What's wrong with my walk with Jesus Christ? What's going on? You wonder why it's just it's like people are looking at you like, well, you're a Christian? What choice did you make when you got out of bed? In fact, James says the same thing, folks. James 1, 27, right? It's not just Paul. He says this, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, to keep oneself from what? From being polluted from the world. In other words, why in the world even James gets in on this? Why would you purposely, Christian, allow yourself, your body, as, as, to be polluted by the world? Why would you purposely get up and give a rip about the sinful junk that you put in your body and you actually think it's not going to affect you? We all know that if a person did suck down pollution, what's that going to do to you physically? Oh, maybe you won't get the effects right away, but it's going to kill you. It will harm you. That's common sense. Purity matters then why would you do that every single day as a Christian and not give a rip about guarding, putting the breastplate on? Uh-uh. None of that's getting in my vessel. I got this cinched up all day long, man. You ain't getting me. None of that's getting inside my vital organs. Do you see what he's saying? Is, is, is that about as practical as we can get? I want to make sure that we get this, okay? Purity matters okay we wig out when it comes to water we spend 16 billion dollars on it but should we not be even more dedicated to the living water that refreshes our soul because without this commitment things are never going to go right in your walk with Christ one guy he puts it this way Dwight Moody listen to what he said he said we Christians should live in the world yes but not be filled with it. He said, just as a ship lives in the water, but if the water gets into the ship, the ship goes to the bottom. So it is with the Christian. We may live in this world, but the world gets into us, we sink. If there's a defect in our character, if there's some want of integrity because we've been polluted by the world, the person is spiritually sinking, they are unguarded, and this will be the point of attack from the enemy. Just as David was tempted to commit enormous crimes that stained his memory, just as Peter denied his Lord three times, so it is any Christian today that has been fallen and assailed, it's because they were lacking in the breastplate of righteousness. They took it off. They purposely allowed to crack. 
to appear. They gave easy access to the enemy. Having the breastplate of righteousness is the only hope. The more righteous we are in character, the harder it is for Satan to tempt us and wound our spirits. This was the integrity of Job. And in a higher sense with Jesus that saved them from the temptation of the devil. And so it is true today. Christian, you will not be able to, to successfully maneuver the temptations of unrighteousness without the breastplate of righteousness in place. And he says, listen, and if you don't take this serious... And if you don't make this commitment every day, you will lose. He says, well, what will you lose? He says, you're going to lose, number one, your joy. He said, I'll promise you that. If you do not live a righteous life, God will withhold from you his blessings. No obedience, no joy. The reason why Christians are so sad so often, the reason why they got so much sorrow in their lives, is not because they necessarily need some sort of psychological counseling for some relational problem. It's a lack of personal holiness. That's the bottom line. The church today has pretty much ignored this. And we've substituted personal holiness and holy living with programs, seminars, and counseling. He said, listen, if you've got problems in your life, the first place you need to look is your own holiness. If you got problems in your marriage, that's the first place to look. I'll guarantee you right now, if you're not living a holy life, you're going to have problems because God is withholding his blessing. David knew it. David knew it. David, when he had sinned, he said to the Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. He was saved. But because of his sin, he lost that joy. Why? Because God does not bless disobedience. And he said, Christianity today is tying on paper armor. Like when you go to the restaurant with your kids and they put on that little paper bib and tie it around your neck. He said, I see that as the typical modern Christian breastplate. It's useless. It's made up of a system of programs instead of a method of holiness. People come to us and say, you know, uh, um, church, I'm having problems in my life and my family's having problems. And what do we say to them? We say, well, what you need is about 10 to 12 sessions with a counselor. And they put on the paper breastplate. He said, listen, that's not what you need. What you really need is 10 to 12 hours in the presence of God until you sort out the unholy characteristics in your life and get right with God. That's what you need to get rid of your problems. We don't need any more programs. We don't need any more methods. What we need is the breastplate of righteousness, a life of personal holiness, and we need to put it on now. This is what Paul is saying every single day. Christian, when you get out of bed, stick close to Jesus. Become that glow-in-the-dark saint. Stand in his mighty power. Number two, you need to get into the word of God. And number three, before you leave that house, you sit there and say, I refuse to let wickedness in this life because I don't want to be a hoplon for Satan. I make the commitment by the Spirit of God. Oh God, I put the breastplate of righteousness on. I am committed to holy living today. That I would be a holy, godly example for you and that I would not leave myself open to the unrighteous one who wants to destroy my walk with you. And God says, if you do that, Christian, and the other armor that we're going to get to, Lord willing, you will be able to stand every single time, no matter what the enemy throws your way. And dare I say, you're going to have some joy. And not saying it'll be perfect, but I'll guarantee a whole bunch of your problems are going to go away. Choose to put the breastplate of righteousness on now. Amen? Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today that you go to heaven and not hell? Now, before you answer that, let me uh, share with you a couple things that the Bible says. The Bible says that God is holy 
and that we are not. And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. We don't deserve to go to heaven when we die. We deserve to go down. We deserve to go to hell. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this problem that we have, that we're separated from God not only now, but we're going to be separated from Him for all eternity in a place called hell. We, we, we don't even want to admit that. So, once again, out of love, God gives us what's called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were God's x-ray, if you will, divine x-ray to, to get us to admit the problem that we have inside that's separating us from Him. Let, let, let's take a look at a few of those of God's divine x-ray. For instance, if you think that you're worthy on your own, you don't need a Savior, uh, you're going to get to heaven all by yourself, then let's take a look at God's test there, uh, the, the Ten Commandments. The ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. Uh, how many of you have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, you just told one. But folks, we've all done that. That makes us a liar. The Ten Commandments, God's x-ray, showing us that we have sin that's separating us from Him. We're not holy and perfect like Him. The Fifth Commandment says this, You shall not steal. Don't ever once take anything without permission. How many of you have ever done that? Well, if we're not going to tell another lie, we, we should all admit that as well. Well, that makes us a thief now. The Bible says that God is so holy, uh, even His name is holy. And that's why the Ten Commandments says, You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And if we're honest again, folks, hey, a lot of us, how many of us have used the blessed name of Jesus Christ? The only name, the Bible says, under heaven that men might be saved. We've now turned it into a common cuss word, if you can believe that. The Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. The Bible also says, hey, show, you want to show God you're so perfect, you have no sin? Then don't ever once commit adultery. And you might say, well, I, I've never done that. Really? Jesus lays the standard before us. God looks at the heart. Man looks on the outside. Jesus said, if you ever looked with lust in your eye at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's His holy standard. One more. The Bible says, okay, you think you're so good? Uh, then don't ever once commit murder. You shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I, at least I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible again says that the sin of hatred, wishing someone was uh, dead, is akin to the sin of murder. It's just, if you will, you pull the trigger in your heart. So, so, so how are you doing? That's just five out of ten of God's divine x-ray, by the way, uh, showing us the problem. How are you doing? Not if, but when your time comes, we're all going to stand before God. You'll be forced to admit what He already knows. Hey, God, let me in. Let me in. I'm a, I'm a liar. I'm a, I'm a thief. I'm a, a blasphemer, an adulterer, and a murderer. And the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're not headed to heaven in that state. You're headed to hell. But here's the good news. God said if we would just admit this, Number one, then he could fix it. And it gets fixed only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the life, and the truth, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. Why? Because only Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. And Jesus died on the cross. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be set free. And since we weren't there, and since it's a gift and we can't earn it, we have to receive that wonderful gift by faith. And the Bible says God will pardon us for our crimes, our sins, against Him. And you could actually see this analogy working uh, in the natural, in the normal world. Uh, we see this actually uh, in the courtroom. For instance, if a person is guilty and, and everybody knows they're guilty, they've committed a horrible crime, and, and, and the, the sentence has passed, the judge has knocked down the gavel and says, Hey, uh, you are going to jail. You are going to the death penalty for that crime. And we know that people, that happens all the time, and they go to jail. But believe it or not, 
Did you know there's a way for that person, even though they're guilty, to actually be set free from that crime? It's called a pardon. And the one in authority, the governor, has the part out of mercy, out of goodness, certainly nothing that that person did in jail. They can't undo the crime. It's too late. But out of mercy, the governor could go down there and grant that person in jail a full pardon for their crimes. And by receiving that pardon, the doors come open and they are set free and they're rescued from the death penalty. Folks, that's what God is doing every single day with us spiritually. He has allowed His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the death penalty in our place. He's pardoned us, but a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it. And it's actually been on historical record that there have been people on death row who a governor has gone down out of mercy and extended to them a full pardon, but they've rejected it. And by their own doing, they went to the death penalty. Folks, don't make that same mistake for all eternity. God loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done. All of it. Even the sins we don't even know about. He wants to pardon you and forgive you, but you must receive that by faith today. The Bible says if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you call upon His name, ask Him to forgive you of all your sins, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Please do that now. Please do that today, because tomorrow may be too late. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries. Again, thank you for joining us. If there's anything that you need, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact us. Our information and number and uh, things will uh, pop up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.